It's Monday, which means it's time for more Cross Defense. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Tyrell Bramwell, the pastor of, well, my office. I'm not really pastoring anymore. But we're doing great work because we're going to get more men into the ministry. That's what I do here at Concordia. I help with the team of admissions department people to try to get men who are considering the ministry uh, to help them discern that process and, and figure out if this is what they want to do so they can go out into the ministry and they get to do all those beautiful, amazing ministerial duties that I miss so much. I'm Tyrell Bramwell, if you missed that part, and you can find me all over the interwebs at wherever you find my name. So it's at Tyrell Bramwell on Instagram and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. And you can go to my website, TyrellBramwell.com, where you can find a contact form if you want to send me an email. A little bit old school, I suppose. Email is a little bit outdated because most of us just are on social or texting and things like that. But you can find me wherever you want to find me. We have a part two today. We left off, we had a great conversation last Monday talking to the Reverend Gavin Mize, who is the pastor of Augustana Lutheran Church in Hickory, North Carolina, and we're talking about his book. He is also the author of Beauty and Catechesis, among other books, and we're talking about beauty, and we're talking about catechesis, and we had a wonderful conversation and ran out of time. So here we are again for part two of that conversation, because we have much more to discuss. Let's bring our guest on right now. Reverend Mize, how are you today? Doing very well. Thank you for having me back on again. It's a pleasure to have you back on. Uh, for the listeners out there in Radio Land, uh, Gavin's also a friend of mine. I, I really enjoy every opportunity I have to to just converse with this guy. Um, just kind of hear his his banter. If you didn't pick it up from last week, he's a fun guy to talk to. He uh, has a quick wit and isn't afraid to uh, use it. So thanks for being on the show, Gavin. You uh you had a busy week. You were um. Not you were like me this week. You weren't really doing a lot of your pastoral duties, were you? That's, well, that's correct. I was in Kansas at the uh, Take Heart Doxology Retreat, um, which was absolutely wonderful. Good Dr. Yonke and uh, Pastor Fleming, uh, all their presentations were were great. Um, and I just had Dr. Yonke on my podcast this tu- last Tuesday. This Tuesday on my podcast will be Reverend Fleming, um, each one taking a, a different a different uh, approach. Dr. Yonke was pastoring during uh, the pandemic, and uh, Reverend Fleming was was uh, being a pastor and applying uh, doxology or doxological uh, um, principles to the congregation uh, while being um, while also being the executive director of uh, spiritual life. For doxology, so it's, it was. It's good. That's that's gonna be one to, to look forward to. Wonderful. And that's cross cross-eyed Christian radio, right? Yeah, or your, your podcast. podcast. All right, great, good stuff. And doxology doing amazing work as they're serving pastors, and uh, so the pastors can stay healthy and serve their people. So that's a wonderful thing. Sounds good. So let's talk beauty. Let's talk catechesis, my friend. Um, before we dive into right where we left off last week. I thought it might be good to uh, catch the listeners up. Could you give us a working definition of the word beauty or beautiful? And then a follow-up question will be the same thing for catechesis. It's, it's an interesting question, a working definition of beauty, because beauty is, is one of those things that it's like trying to catch lightning in a bottle, so to speak. Um, but 
Actually, I think for the Christian and the Christian church, we actually do have a working definition and an objective definition for beauty. Um, and that is, for, for example, it, someone looks at a rainbow and its proper understanding of it, um, the, the <laughs> covenantal uh, beauty of a rainbow, not the appropriated uh, uh, understanding of, of a rainbow. Um but the beauty of a rainbow is objectively beautiful, not necessarily because it's pretty or just pretty. The beauty of it is the actual covenant. And so likewise, uh, you may have somebody who would look at a rainbow and say, oh, that's ugly. Well, subjectively, that's their opinion. Um, also, you probably shouldn't hang out with that guy because he's he's <laughs> if a guy doesn't like a beautiful rainbow, then I mean, you know, it just you just don't you don't need that in your life. <laughs> Um, I agree. So, <laughs> so, so, so he could have a subjective opinion on a rainbow, um, and you could have a subjective opinion on that guy. But just because it's subjective opinion doesn't mean that it's not objectively beautiful. So, where Christ is, where the promise of Christ is, because all covenant is Christological covenant, um, where Christ is, there beauty must be. Uh, so, and, and we can see, you know, the greatest juxtaposition of this is the crucifix. It is very hard to look at, but its beauty is undeniable. Mm. The actual, uh, the actual effect of that is our justification. Therefore, no one can look at it and say, boy, I that, that, that's really offensive to my justification. No one, no one could ever say that. Um, so, so the, the beauty of it doesn't mean that it's, well, the beauty of it itself is such that artists have painted it and artists have sculpted it for years and years and years and years because of the beauty that it is. Now you could look at someone and, and uh, I mean, there are many, uh, for example, well, I'll just say, I'll just say Baptists, not to put too fine a point on it, but a Baptist can look at, at a crucifix and go, uh, second, second commandment violation. Um, but that doesn't mean that, that it's not objectively beautiful. Um, they just objectively missed the point. Uh, subject, subjective, um, is, is for them to say, okay, this piece of art or anyone, this piece of art is not my taste. Uh, well, that doesn't mean that it's not objectively the truth, uh, because that which is beautiful is also true and is also good. Um, and that is getting into, into deep aesthetics, uh, which we can kind of unpack, but it, I mean, there's, there's a, a lot in there. Um, as this far reminds as me of a, not to interrupt you. Sorry. This reminds me of what I read years ago in a Gene Veith book. And I, while you were talking, I was trying to figure out the name of the book and I can't remember State of the arts. that that's right. That's right. And you, you actually brought that up last, last week in our show. Um, but he talks about, you can like something but it doesn't mean it's good and something can be good and it doesn't mean you like it. Exactly. And, that, and that's kind of the basic understanding of aesthetics. Okay. Uh, Hans Jörg von Balthasar, a Roman Catholic, uh, wrote his, his seventh volume, which is, you know, his, um, his, his greatest work. And it was the glory of the Lord, uh, theodrama, um, and basically what he says in the glory of the Lord, which is his most popular is he makes those distinctions between true, uh, beautiful and good. Uh, now he is very dense in his understanding of it. Um, Gene Veith 
is very is very good um, at explaining this in a very in a quote unquote lay, layman's way. Yeah, sort um, of a popular, not, accessible. Exactly, volume. like um, like spirituality of the cross, for example. How how he do, how he explains the Christian faith and spirituality of the cross is just excellent. Pastors and laymen alike can read it. Same thing with state of the arts. Pastor and layman alike can read it and and get something out of it, especially if you're new to. Uh, beauty and aesthetics. I highly recommend that book. That's good. Yeah. And I want to just, you know, come back around and say it one more time for the listener's sake that we're talking about beauty from an objective perspective, first and foremost. Uh, so Pastor Mize is making this great distinction between what is objectively beautiful, which has a whole different uh, measurement or matrix to it than what is subjectively to your taste. And we got to make sure in our day and age that we make that distinction when we, as we talk about this subject because we're so accustomed in our modern American age of just thinking about, or wherever you're at, even, I mean, this show is worldwide, so I should get in the habit of not talking about just America, but we're used to talking about what we like and what we think is beautiful, what we think is good, and we've, we've kind of lost, well, not kind of, We've totally lost the idea that terms like truth, goodness, and beauty, these ancient virtues, are actually objective. There's actually a measurement to what makes something good, and it's not that you like it. That is not the measurement. Uh, You can, you know, um, one of the examples, I think that maybe this is from um, State of the Arts or something similar to this is, you know, like heavy metal or something, you know, I, or a movie. I think, I think Dr. Veith uses a movie. Like you can go to a movie and, and if I ask Pastor Mize, have you seen uh, this new movie? What'd you think about it? He can say, oh, it was good. Like that, that's, that's kind of like common vernacular. Like, oh, that was a good movie. You don't hear that out there in Radio Land. You don't hear that as it was objectively good based on what makes something good. You hear that actually as Pastor Mize liked it. Right. And we use that language inappropriately, really. And it should be, oh, I liked it. I personally thought it was great. It uh, doesn't mean it was actually artistically good. But OK, so that's what we're talking about. Good stuff. Got, Keep I've going, two, Gavin. Two examples of that. Good, good. Uh, first <laughs> one is less pious than the other one. OK. Uh, first one is the passion of the Christ. Um, objectively, it teaches about the crucifixion of Christ. Uh subjectively there's a really bad scene in there where jesus invents the chair i mean it's absolutely the oh. most ridiculous thing <laughs> and mary comes up and he's like why is the table so high and he's like oh wait you sit in a chair like this and it's like oh, okay god i mean well, god yes jesus did not invent <laughs> the chair and you know but uh, so subjectively in my opinion that was the worst thing they could have put in in the movie objectively they're still teaching and catechizing about uh, the crucifixion, and at the very end, spoiler alert, resurrection. Um, <laughs> the, the the second more pious one is uh, Job. Job, uh, Albrecht Dürer uh, has, has a painting circa 1504 uh, where it has a picture of Job's wife dumping a bucket of water on Job uh, after uh, pours, pours a bucket of water on Job and it, is is pouring a bucket of water on Job, um, <laughs> and and whilst while she's doing that, presumably she's telling him to curse God and die, 
And then later on, God tells off Job for complaining the first time he complains. Uh, but in chapter, so, so all of that is subjectively bad, although I, I would wager that most people would not disagree with that subjectively bad, um, that his wife poured a bucket of water on him and told him to curse God and die. But in chapter one, Job is called righteous, but it's who calls him righteous that actually makes the, all the difference in the world. God is the one who says that he's a righteous and an upright man. Um, and therefore, God's declaration of that makes him a good and righteous uh, uh, man. And that is objective. Yeah, despite, uh, despite what we see, despite what we think is happening, God declares it to be, and therefore, objectively, it is. Exactly. So okay. how you feel about Job's wife, mm, not, not, not really the point. Sure, uh, sure. Though I don't think there's many men going, well, I wish my wife was like that, you know, but. <laughs> yeah, so there is a, you're, well, you're, this is a great uh, nuance to this conversation, too, because there is a opportunity for what we like to line up with what is good. So the, the subjective can can line up with the objective and both can can meet and, and declare the same thing. Like I can like a good movie, right? I mean, it's, it's okay for me to like a good movie. One is subjective. It's totally based on my personal perspective on things. And the other one is universally true for everyone. It is good. It's a good movie or it is, yeah. Um, so that is good. That's an interesting aspect of this too, that with beauty, you can like something that is beautiful, like a rainbow and your personal opinion on it does line up with the objective truth about it. It is beautiful, but you can also be that weird guy who just thinks it's ugly. And, and that has, it does not affect the objective truth about it. Even if, oh, and this is really important in our day and age, I think, tell me more about this, Gavin. So we have a, a popular opinion thinks the rainbow is ugly. Let's just use that since you brought that example up. All of the world, the majority of the world, we should say, thinks rainbows are ugly. Does that change what is objectively true about the rainbow? No, it, it changes that, that the majority of people uh, don't have good taste or sense. Ah. But it doesn't change the objective truth that it's beautiful because of the sacrifice of Christ. God put it up there in the in the in the sky as a reminder, which is very funny because the far left is is always uh, ready to jump on appropriation, but Christians just let it slide, um, which is just un unfortunate. Uh, Madonna did the same thing with the cross in the eighties, uh, but you're absolutely right. A vast majority of people can think that something is ugly, and I would even wager that that the vast majority of Americans, at least, if not the world, uh, objectively think the cross is either ugly or they're or, or, or benign. They, they don't they don't really uh, they don't really care. It's like rhubarb; it kind of takes on the taste of whatever's with it. Um, so <laughs> that's a that's a. a Man, I, I stopped doing twi Twitter, but that's a tweet right there. The cross is like <laughs> rhubarb. <laughs> there's there's always Facebook, right? Ob yeah. Objectively. Um, <laughs> but but I, I'll give you another example. Uh, since we're going right into catechesis. Yeah, take uh, us there. Uh, catechesis itself, th there are many catechisms that would uh, that agree that the crucifixion of Christ is a good thing. However, 
they, there's a lot of things written subjectively in catechisms that is not the truth. Hmm. Um, you know, the, 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 the thing that, that lines up with the small catechism is, and we, the reason we confess quia to it is because it's objectively true because it was taken from the great objective objector, and that is scripture. Um, and um, hold on, let's unpack that for just a second. It's taken from the great objective objector. Yes. Scripture. Yes, in other words, it is the great rule that that, that makes everything else a ruler, uh, or a or, or a norm that norms, that norms the norm the the the, uh, the norm. So, uh, so scripture is that which uh, is the the great golden rule or golden ruler, I should say. Um, I mean, for example, how do we know that a a yardstick is a yard? Well, there has to be a set standard of measurement, and nothing, and it can't be a fraction outside of that, um, and it can't be a foot out of that. It has to be according to the same measure uh, of that yardstick, the the original yardstick. So, <laughs> same thing with scripture. Uh, it is the great yardstick for which all other yardsticks are made. Let's stop uh, right there. We'll take a break. We'll ponder the the objective objector that is scripture. Let the listener unpack that and, and come to terms with what you just said, which is absolutely true, right? That scripture is the thing that by which everything else is determined. And we'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Cross Defense. I'm Pastor Tyrell Bramwell with our guest, the Reverend Gavin Mines. We'll be right back. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. Thanks for sticking around. You're listening to Cross the Fence. It is a beautiful day here in Fort Wayne. That is objectively true. It is also subjectively true based on my opinion. But it is a beautiful day objectively because the Lord has made it. And we are able to serve and we are able to bring God's word to your eardrums right now as we talk about beauty and catechesis. You're hanging out with the Reverend Gavin Mize, who is the pastor of Augustana Lutheran Church in Hickory, North Carolina, and of course me, uh, the pastor of. Can I can I pastor myself, Gavin? Uh, yeah. <laughs> though, though though you have to be objective and call call yourself on your own sins, and then objectively uh, absolve yourself. And then I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know ask, if this is going to work. Doctor David Scare, he'll give you a straight answer on that. <laughs> Uh, I'm the uh, newest admission counselor here at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and it's a pleasure to be with you all. Thanks for tuning in. We're talking beauty and catechesis, and just before the break, uh, Reverend Mize was talking about how Scripture is, I love the way he put it, the objective objector, or it is the uh, 
the rule that rules, the norm that norms. It is the thing by which other things are measured and kept to standard. It is, in short, truth. So uh, we're, we want to back up a little bit, Gavin, just for the listener's sake. We asked you to define beauty. You did a wonderful job of that. And now let me uh, just to make sure we cover the, our basis. Define catechesis. You talked about how there's a lot of catechisms out there. And I'm sure our listeners, uh, especially in the Lutheran world, know about the word catechism. At least if they haven't heard it anywhere else, they've heard about the small catechism and hopefully the large catechism. What is a catechism? But more importantly, what is catechesis? Catechism is the catechism. Catechism is the uh, actual faith that is described in Scripture, uh, and the faith in Scripture. Uh, in other words, believing in Scripture as the objective uh, objector, and then also, uh, and, and that faith being handed down to others is is a catechism or catechesis. Now, we understand a catechism in more of a book form, um, the, the 32 pages, the great 32 pages of, of the, the, the catechism. And uh, w- what that is, is it's a, uh, it's a safety net for those who want to hand down the faith. So you're not, we're not just making things up. We have a common faith, and that common faith is bound together um, and uh given, handed down, or handed over, or handed up uh, to to others and say, this is the faith. And that that's, that's the big difference. There are many catechisms out there that don't hold the true faith, and we don't confess them. Um, the Westminster Catechism is, is an example that some of your listeners may have heard. Um, there's the, the Catechism of the, of the Catholic Church. Uh, likewise, we, we, don't, we wouldn't confess everything that, that's in there. Uh, yet, in our catechism, we hold it to be uh, we hold these truths to be self self evident, um, and in those thirty two pages, um, there there we are assured that that what we teach our families is the true faith, um, and in a world that seems so subjective, it's great to have an objective truth in which to permeate. Um, the, the this this dying world, uh, and that's why the catechism is not only true; it's very important. It's vital to 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 our lives and to our faith, uh, because we're all going to die. It's just a matter of will we die catechized? Ooh. Um, and and that I mean that that changes everything. Um, it's the great lesson plan. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, it, it's a. It instruction book or lesson plan uh, we have the six chief parts contained within there we have the, the the bare bones of what it is to be a christian um for our listeners who are used to uh, pastor wolf miller who was the host of this show right um, as you know cross defense he often times times talked about catechesis but anti-catechism like the the world's catechesis because we're always being taught we're always being uh, raised up instructed in something it's a matter of what that is. And so what you just said is amazing. This idea, we're all going to die, but will we die catechized? We might even add, will we die catechized in the truth, right? As yes, opposed it, to the it's, devil's... It's the, it's, the, it's the abnorm. The world is the abnorm, right? So, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The That's world what... is the abnorm trying to attack the, the, the norm that norms. I love it. Oh. Or, or, or the anti-object. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so la- let's get on to where we left off last week. If if you're out there listening to us and you're you're remembering, if you're if you've been waiting from Monday to Monday, just dying to talk about what Pastor Mize left us with, I cut him off. If you remember last Monday, because he was about to tell us something, uh, take us somewhere that's very important, and we were out of time. Uh, so here's what we where we left off last week. If you don't remember Pastor Mize because you've been busy this week, you don't you might not even remember what you said. So let me uh, let me remind you. Um, you were about to tell us. You said you know there's a, this common sort of statement that you hear was when someone will say, you know, why do people say, look at all the money that so-and-so spent on the church. That person could have used it to feed the homeless. That's what you brought up. We were talking about uh, beauty and, and wanting to do our best. You know, if we have this $500,000 endowment at the church, and yet we're, we're not using that money to to create a beautiful atmosphere where we, wherein we can receive the Lord, where we can our you know our prayers can be focused on the cross, uh, where we can receive our our, our Lord's body and blood in uh, in uh, vessels that are proper that we have means to to make fit appropriately to what is happening in that situation. And and our listeners might remember our, our wonderful conversation about the Cool Whip container. So that's sort of the context of if we have the means to make the better confession and to to better show the world and ourselves for our own edification, what's happening in these events, in baptism, in the preaching of the word, in the in the reception of the Lord's Supper, in, in prayer, in, in, in the singing of our hymns and all these different things that make up the Christian life. If we have the means to confess them clearly with beauty. Remember, we're talking beauty and catechesis. We we should be doing that. And but then the argument can be made. But why should we spend money on? I brought up last week the gold baptismal bowl, or money on a very uh, nice communion chalice when we could be spending that same amount of money to feed the homeless. And that's a really reasonable question to start with. Um, it seems. So, Pastor Mize, let me hand off the t- the baton here. Let's talk about that question that you've often heard. And what do we make of it in terms of beauty and catechesis? One of the questions, the question that that I'm going to bring up uh, more specifically uh, is really the it's the great um, it's it's the great question of of secular society. Uh, One of the great questions of of secular society when it wants to uh, condemn the church. And what it really is, is is a is the great platitude. You know where, where they can where they can say something and no one's going to disagree with it because either a they they don't they can't think about it b they they can't think of something to say um, b they don't care enough to respond or c they're part of the church and don't want to look bad mm. and the great question is um, or I guess the statement is if if let's take a step outside the church building. Someone walks by and sees a great, beautiful church, and they say, "Look at all that money that that's that's uh, uh, spent on on that church building. How and how uh, how grandiose it is. Why why wouldn't they sell that building and uh, and feed the poor?" Well, the the answer to that is it's actually kind of a simple question, or at least a simple discussion, an uh, interest discussion, and that's well. These buildings are beautiful so that homeless people can know where 
to go. They can actually point to a beautiful building and say, I can get help there. Now, further, more importantly, um, not only the homeless, but the uh, the sinner. The sinner can point to a church and say, there's the forgiveness of sins. So we make our buildings unlike any other building. We should be making our buildings unlike any other building. Um, we should have an interior that looks like a church. We should not have um, the, the, the inside look like a rock performance, or I sound like I'm 80 there, a rock performance, <laughs> uh, a concert, um, <laughs> one of those rock and roll performances, uh, or, or those, those heavy metal plays. Um, you, you, you don't want to walk in and, and, and it looks like a stage and, and it doesn't look like a church because what you're doing is you're stepping outside of the faith handed down and the abnormality of the church to the world. Hmm. We want to be abnormal. We should be abnormal. We, our confession should be abnormal. Our building should be abnormal. To the world, we should not uh, sink into the mire of, well, let's, let's bait and switch these people. It, we're worldly, but not really. Come in and then, and then you talk about Jesus. Oh, yeah. so, uh, but rather, the, 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 the entrance, uh, the, the, the liturgy, the outside of the church, all should be different, and it should be stark to the point that it jilts us out of our complacency, and we go, well, hang on. That building is, is I know that that's a church. I know, for, I know for sure that that's a church, and what waits me inside is a confession and a Savior who will forgive my sins. And for the hungry, they will get fed. For the sinners, they will get fed. For the uh, downtrodden, they will get fed. Uh, and, and so, so we purposely make these things beautiful, so that so that they are abnormal to the world. It's I'm like, gonna, let me throw this like in Satan's, here. Uh, As you're talking, Satan, this is really good sure. because I, I love that. I love the approach to this. It's almost practical, and, and the reason I like that is because it, well, it is practical, not almost. <laughs> the reason I like it is because I often hear um, responses to to these sorts of things. The the, the the critique is coming from a pragmatic worldview, a practical worldview. You know, like let's, why are we spending all this money every year on the eternal candle when all it does, it's just wax that melts down and does nothing for us. Like we can cut costs. If we're in the middle of cutting costs, let's cut that cost. Uh, and it's, it's always approached from that practical budgetary, uh, you know, sort of restraint we have. We, we, only, we don't have unended, unlimited money. We have to you know, be good stewards. And, and so it's always this practicalism. And I think that's an, it's primarily an American thing, this pragmatic worldview. And so you just let us into a wonderful way to think it through from the place we're starting. Okay, we're considering this from a practical perspective. Well, practically speaking, I want everyone who's in need to know exactly where they can go to get the thing they need, right? I want the homeless person to know where they can go to get help. And more importantly, I want the sinner, which is everyone, to know this is a church and this is where they come to receive the forgiveness of their sins. And so if I can make this building look like a church instead of a post office or instead of a civic center, I'm going to do that so there's no questions about where the gospel is proclaimed. This, this sounds to me, Pastor Mize, like Romans 12, where we hear, do not be conformed 
to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is the good, objective good. There's one of our words for today, right? Pleasing and perfect will of God. Is that what you're telling us? This show, this show brought to you by O, objective. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and the number seven. Um, so so uh, you, you bring up a good point. And also, here's an interesting way of looking at it. Everyone is homeless for a certain period of time. Um, every time we step outside of our home, we're homeless. And, uh, and we need a home to return to and to be at. So we go to our home, which is the church also. Mm. Um, we, don't, we don't just point to, if someone says, how do you get home? Uh, we don't go, well, I don't know. You know we, we can actually describe our home. And the same thing with the church. We can describe our church by, based on what happens in it. Um, and also by its exterior, but more importantly, what happens uh, in it. Um, and I'll give you another example, another really good example. I think it's really good because it's because it's my example. But um, <laughs> Concordia Theological Seminary, for example, uh, Concordia Theological Seminary has an has an endowment. It is, but it's very much uh, uh, teaching a man to fish. I mean, that's what's happening with every single student. They're not just giving a man a fish and then saying, "Okay, um, you know, you're now you're called to." Uh, Augustana Evangelical Lutheran Church in Hickory. Um, here, go share this fish with with all your parishioners. You know they teach pastors how to be pastors and uh, how to fish. Give them the tools, uh, fishing pole, um, and then have you catch fish and feed those fish to the to the people. Um, likewise, the church is is, is the same way. Uh, that's why seminary is the house for which we uh, live and are and leave, um, just like our houses. Um, but when we leave, we're able to when we, when we get to our churches, uh, we also teach we not only feed them the fish, but teach them how to fish. And we call that catechesis mm. um, and and how how beautiful that is. So so the same argument would be, well, Concordia Theological Seminary shouldn't uh, shouldn't have endowment, shouldn't worry about pastors' futures, shouldn't worry about paying professors, shouldn't worry about uh, housing professors and housing students. Really, uh, it should just be a uh, a soup line for for all these students uh, who will be full for a day, but not be able to feed the people uh, down the road. So. Uh, if if any if any uh, young men are considering the uh, seminary, go talk to Reverend Bramwell uh, as soon as possible. <laughs> you turned it into uh, a commercial. That, that, that you might learn a, to <laughs> sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> you like see what I did there? Yeah, I love it. Oh man, that was a that's a world class plug right there. Oh my goodness, I, I was tracking <laughs> along with you, and all of a sudden, oh wait, he's promoting this. Right? <laughs> yeah, you know, here's another example people might pick up on in in our era of uh, you know suburbs and subdivisions and and nowadays they they seem to all look the same you, you can go and you can find a suburb then every house is the same color tan and it's the exact same layout and there, there's always these sort of like i think this is familiar to everybody you, you watch a crime show on a tuesday night you're eventually this little scenario is going to come up in the opening sequence some little girl can't find her way home because all the houses look the same right 
she's lost and she needs help and she ends up stumbling into the wrong house and discovers whatever the show is about. Uh, I think that's the introduction to weeds. Oh, is it? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, so how how much so here, that that's the picture right we're all sinners lost in this world we live in a suburb where every house looks the same how do we know where our home is how do we know where we belong and as you said it helps to have the building look a certain way sure that's helpful but ultimately the point is what's happening inside what's being taught what's the catechesis because when you enter that home uh, you can you can enter that home and it may even be furnished the same way inside. Everybody might have the same taste and, you know, how trends work. That's probably the case. And you go in and you sit down at the dinner table and all of a sudden you realize no one else is sitting at the table. Everybody's eating dinner in front of the, the TV. You realize, oh, this isn't my home because uh, at my home, we all sit down at, at dad's table and we receive the body and blood of Christ. We don't just kind of go our own way and do our own thing. Uh, that kind of a thing. Right. So that's kind of what you're driving at. That's the point of why we want to be able to spend our gifts, our offerings and things that the Lord has is, is supplying the church. That's why there's a practical reason to the things we do and the, and the things we spend money on. And not everything has to be about um, that, that boots on the ground, soup kitchen line, like that moment. Not You have to have an infrastructure to get to that moment to be able to supply the needs of the people. Okay, we're a little overdue again on our second break. We're going to take a break right now. We're going to be right back after this, and I'm going to start us off when we get back with Matthew 6, no, 26, starting at verse 6, and we're going to kind of dive into Scripture and talk about this a little bit more because this isn't something that is uh, just pertinent to us right now. It's been going on since the time of Christ. So stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to Cross Defense. The USA is the third largest mission field in the world, and church planning is one of the most effective means of making new disciples, new missions to new people in new places. Get ready to plow the fields. Check out the Mission Field USA podcast produced by the LCMS Office of National Mission. You can find it at kfuo.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Cross Defense. I'm your host, the Reverend Tyrell Bramwell, admissions counselor at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, broadcasting worldwide from, I told you, you know, last, last week I mentioned that I was moving to Augustine Hall. I inadvertently lied to you all. I'm so sorry. I moved to Athanasius. I am in Athanasius Hall, broadcasting worldwide here at kfuo.org. And I didn't even say this at the top of the top of the show. I should have said, you know, this is the show. I think you know by now. This is the show where we equip the mind, we excite the imagination, and we comfort the soul with God's word because we have a fierce foe and cross and Christ on the cross is our only defense. That's what we're doing here is we're talking theology to uh, better understand what we're dealing with. And today we're talking beauty and catechesis with the Reverend Gavin Mize pastor of Augustana Lutheran Church in Hickory, North Carolina, and author of Beauty and Catechesis. Pastor Mize, I want to read this Bible verse as we're talking about this idea of you know, why do people spend money on things in the church, the accoutrement <laughs> that we need, um, when we could be spending that money to, to feed the poor or to do, you know, fill in the blank, whatever sort of... Um, 
physical activity that would make us feel better in that moment and actually take care of someone's real needs, you know, drill a well, build a house, whatever, right? The, the, and these are things, that, and, and listener, please don't hear me as mocking those things. Those things need to be done. And that is part of what we do. We do take care of people's physical needs so that we can bring them their eternal needs as well. But Pastor Mize, I'm going to read Matthew 26, starting at verse 6, because I think this is um, right, right what we're talking about. And I'd like you to kind of give us your thoughts afterwards. Matthew 26, 6. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Pastor Mize, what do you think? How does this relate to what we're talking about? Well, it definitely relates uh, insofar as the uh, that, that nothing nothing new is in the world, uh, <laughs> in particular, they even fuss at Jesus about uh, her not 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 feeding the the poor, which is very ironic uh, because the, you know they they saw him do such multi- many times. Um, oh yeah, but but also you know we we as a church um, received that same chastising uh for our for our dis- displays of beauty that actually teach the faith um and that's that's the whole that's kind of the whole point for example you made you kind of the point you were making at the first break um when you, if you walk into a uh an iconoclast church that is for for our listeners those who who dislike images because they believe it's breaking the second commandment um you can walk in there and and say oh i don't know where i don't know where, where what this is where the where this is or um what's being taught here well kind of files on the other hand you will find a confession of faith in art um and that art is meant to describe and to catechize the very thing that the woman did for Jesus, and that was anointing him for cross, death, burial, and burial. Um, And so those images reflect what she did for him, anointing him for for what Christ would do for us, and what Christ continues to do for us on the opposite side of his ascension, and that is giving us the goods. Um, And so... Christ and his uh, his verbs, his actions, um, gives us an understanding. Uh, art gives us an understanding of what Christ did for us. And uh, I'll give you I'll give you a quote here from Hans Urs von Balthasar: "Beauty is the disinterested one, and this is the way that the world looks at art. And it's the same way. If you put Jesus in here, you'll hear the same thing. That how the world feels about art is the same way it feels about Jesus." Beauty is the disinterested one, without which the ancient world refused to understand itself. A word uh, which both 
imperceptibly and yet unmistakably has bid farewell to our new world, a world of interests, leaving to its own avarice and sadness. So with, without, without art, well, the, the ancient world understood itself based on beauty. Uh, and likewise, the ancient world understood itself by Christ. Um, well, today in this new world, uh, it, the world doesn't even understand itself because it has thrown the baby out with the bathwater, the incarnation out with the bathwater, mm. um, the crucifixion out with the bathwater. And the world is, uh, in this in this new world, we don't even understand ourselves. And it leads because we don't understand our identity uh, when it's not in Christ. And therefore, it leaves us to our own avarice and sadness. And how depressing that is. And you'll see a lot of, you'll see theology will follow how people feel about uh, images and icons. Uh, it's, it's just, it's just a reality. How a church under, uh, appreciates beauty and appreciates art and pr appreciates all of our sensory perceptions. Uh, you will be able to find out a lot about its theology based on that. Um, a, the a theology that, that is absolutely against, uh, is absolutely against Art and beauty will be unknowingly absolutely against justification by grace through faith. Um, and they'll end up putting a border around it saying things like, well, you have to accept Jesus before you can understand this free gift of justification by grace through faith. Uh -huh. And th th those same churches, you won't find a single piece of art or beauty because their faith is unwashed tombs. What would you say that? There might be that just like we talked about last week, that truth might seep in and inadvertently you could look at their building where they're in and you could say, architecturally, this is a beautiful space. I mean, the lines are pleasing to the eye, you know, things like that. But they did not intend for that to happen. Just like um, you can find Christians in places where you know, the truth is no longer being preached on a regular basis, but because they, they live in a in a congregation, they, they, they make their, their, their being in a church that is liturgical or, or has these safety nets around it, that even though it's not being preached faithfully, the liturgy is preserving them despite the church's best efforts, right? It's like against itself, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. What, what do you, how do we approach this from a Lex Arandi, Lex Credendi sort of way? Are we saying the same thing as that? And could you tell the listener what, what we're talking about there? Oh, that, that's a question that I've never really... Is it the same thing, or am I just thinking, am I conflating two different... Uh... Flesh, flesh out what, what, you're, what you're... Yeah, uh, so our, as, we, as we worship, so we believe, right? Um, the, right. the Latin lex orandi, lex credendi, for the, for the listener's sake, is uh, orandi being our, our word for prayer, and, and credendi, that creed, credo word. And so the creed is our... our doctrine our confession of what we believe based on on scripture the that which norms our faith and so our our prayer life our worship life and and we use that language of prayer sort of in that broad meaning of all that we do when we are worshiping and all that's happening to us as we're worshiping um, that those things are related you can't have a creed that confesses christ crucified for the free you know, forgiveness of your sins as pastor mize you were just saying you can't say that as a as your belief, and then not reflect that in the worship practice that you you encounter every single week. 
And so I'm thinking about this now in terms of beauty and catechesis. And what you just said is what reminded me of it with, you know, a church that is, is cutting out the confession of Christ crucified in their art. Um, they're, they're also cutting that out in their doctrine, even if they don't realize it. So is that, are we talking about the same thing? Now, now, now I see. I wasn't sure where, where you were sure, going sure. With, with, with the beauty, but yeah, that that's that's true. Um, there, there's definitely an understanding of the way that you will see uh, the liturgy carried out, and the way that the way that we worship. Uh, first of all, the way that the, our worship is always what norms um, our our faith. Primary, secondary theology, right? So, so the way that we the way that we that's that's why it's not enough to say well it's taste the way that we worship is taste well it's not it's actually uh it, very important because it flows out i mean christ for example as as he was uh dying for the whole world um that very thing that was beautiful uh that does not look appealing to the world is what we have to preach and proclaim um, and images and and things like that that, that further uh, help us teach that uh, are very like the things that the thing that's normed the painting would be the thing that's normed. Um, likewise, when when we when we preach and proclaim and do the liturgy, we have a duty to make those things as not only highlighted but as beautiful as possible, so that so that. Um, People leave saying, "Wow, my faith is not not only salvific, which is which is enough, but it's also I have a beautiful faith." Hmm. And I don't think that people think about that enough, having a beautiful faith. Um, and so, in, in that sense, I, you're absolutely right. Um, and so, when we can, when we have our creed, uh, and we say our creed. Uh, the, one of the one of the things that we ought not do is mumble it as if uh, as if we're just kind of going through the motions. You know, actually, no, that that creed is beautiful and uh, and it's held by by beautiful people who have been who are made beautiful by sanctification um, through Christ's merits on on the cross, because where there, where justification is, sanctification has to be also. It's the opposite side of the same coin. Um, and so we are we who are washed uh, and have been sanctified are beautiful in the eyes of God, the father who looks through the eyes of his crucified son, as ugly as the world may think the crucifixion is. And we are found to be beautiful, beautiful sinner saints. And you just flipped it on us a little bit. This is good. So. As we were starting this conversation, the carryover from last week, we talked about you know wanting to do our very best, not having to, wanting to, um, as a church, as the body of Christ, with our offerings and tithings and our resources and all the gifts that the Lord has given us, we want those uh, finances and even talents to be used in the best way possible for the confession that we're making, the, the, the good, beautiful, true that we want. To, to have done. Uh, you just now took that and approached it from God's perspective. He has made us his best, right? He has, he has made, we are the best. We are the thing for, for which he invests everything. The life of his son 
right? Uh, Christ left the, uh, <laughs> to make it kind of just vernacular, I guess, he left the luxuries of heaven. He, he, he left the throne and, and all of that that comes with being at his father's side. He left that, he, he forsook that, if you will, to come down here to hang out with us, uh, this motley crew of, of sinners, to redeem us because that's how much we mean to God, right? I just I, I would argue that that they're that they are the same. Uh, they're just they're just they're just uh, uh, they they are the same. But there's a difference between uh, God's response and reaction and our response and reaction. And we do so by using our talents in art. Christ paints the picture through His own blood. So we, I mean, they're really the same thing. It's just a matter of beauty. Um, Christ finds us beautiful by his Holy Spirit and what he's done for us. We in turn turn to God and we use our talents to, um, and just beauty in general, because I didn't paint the rainbow, uh, and appreciate what has been done uh, for us. So, I mean, they're really the same thing, just yeah. different perspectives. Oh, thanks for teaching that. Thank you so much. That's going to uh, haunt my mind in a great way all day long, thinking about that. The same thing, which really makes sense, too, when you think about the church is the body of Christ. Everything that we do, we don't do any of it. It's all God doing, right? And of course, it's the same thing because it's still him acting through us. It's his doing. Uh, yeah. Oh, brother, this is great. Um, let me see. For the listener out there, you have been listening to Cross Defense. We're getting close to the end of the show. Uh, we would love to hear your your response to this conversation. We'd love for you to join the conversation. You can do so on uh, kfuo.org. Well, I think it's their Facebook page. It's probably the easiest way to join this conversation when you see this posted to uh, join the conversation there. You can also do it on my personal stuff on social media. You can um, find me at Tyrell Bramwell, both on Instagram and Facebook. And you can even send me your response to this conversation. Join the conversation is the way I'd like to say it over at TyrellBramwell.com. Just go ahead and find that contact form and tell us your thoughts. What do you think about this idea of beauty and catechesis and how the beautiful is connected and tied to theology? There is no separating what is be beautiful from what is true. And what is true is Christ crucified for you. And we are using beauty, not just talking about beauty, but recognizing that beauty is connected to theology you cannot get away from it and so you want we want to be able to do the best and, and appreciate beauty for all that it is because it helps us confess christ to the world pastor mize with about 30 seconds could you uh give us some parting words how would you want to leave us maybe a prayer from your book yeah let us pray the lord be with you and also with you in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen, amen. oh god you in marvelous order Send, your, send both your angels and humans. Graciously grant that our life on earth may be defended by those who watch over us, that we may be defended from the lies of the devil and speak only the truth of your well-beloved Son. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother, for being on the show. We will be back next week, Monday, 2 p.m. Central at KFUO.org.
You can listen to us anytime you want with that podcast device in your pocket, you know, that smartphone. However you want to receive your podcast, you can find Cross Defense from KFUO on all of those platforms. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you, Gavin, for being on the show. You're very welcome. We're out of here. Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org.